You're listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. Hey, Matt Frank. Uh, yes, Chris. I have a question for you that maybe you specifically can answer. What kind of beer do, you know, the giant monsters, the kaiju, drink? Uh, I, I, I don't know, because, you know, uh, beer is really sort of a, a human construct, and kaiju are sort of supposed to be, I mean, thematically, they're supposed to be above humanity, uh, uh, and okay, human okay, okay. and all that. All There's right. not really any evidence to no, support No, 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 let me they... stop you right there. All right, fine. What kind of beer do people who like kaiju and giant monsters drink? Oh, Circle Brewery. Circle that, Brewery. That, that stuff's great. So, you too. Sure, hell yeah. Oh, it's right here in Austin, yeah. Texas. Circle Brewery, uh, they have their brew pub. You can go check out all their beers right there, and they are the official sponsor for oneofus.net. Hell yeah. Uh, you look at, yeah, I mean, you're drinking a... The, the, the Hefeweizen is pretty good. Yeah, the Circle like. Blur. It's my favorite, too. Yeah, I, I actually just like... I don't even like beer, and I like uh, these guys. I Actually, it's, it's nice. It's a nice flavor to it. It's good stuff. Check out Circle Brewing, the official sponsor for oneofus.net, and come visit them at their brew pub in Austin, Texas. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. Hey guys. You know what I like in my Godzilla movies? Trauma? Bad CGI? Existential terror? That's the one! Uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, we're here, it's the Giganticast, it's the eagerly awaited third uh, episode, the third re- the third Godzilla anime movie review, Godzilla the Planet Eater. I'm Matt. I'm Quinn. I'm Jen, Mayhem's Muse. And I'm Morgan. And, uh, we're, yeah, we're here on the Giganticast, and guess what, guys? We're on iTunes now, and we're on Spotify. Spotify! That's official. Oh my god. Yes, uh, so... We're like a thing now. We are. We're everywhere. You can't escape. (laughs) (laughs) We're inside of you. Um, Um, Oh, too far. That's a bit And we've jumped the... Anyway. It's a a fun joke. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun fun times. Anyway, uh, yeah. um, And also, uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a... Give us a give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us a little maybe five stars would be nice. And uh, maybe leave us a little review and you know let us know that you love us and you want us to keep doing this because I need validation. And uh, no, this I, please validate Matt. Brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the thing is, uh, I actually really appreciate the people who have been messaging me and have been telling me uh, who who say things like, "When is there going to be an extra Gannicast?" Because. I don't see the metrics, so I don't know how many people listen to it. So hearing from you guys really means a lot. And it was actually really cool. I was part of the KaijuCast live show a few days ago where my buddy Kyle uh, did the did his his big, I think it was his 10th anniversary show. for Ooh. He's been doing his podcast for a long-ass time. Wow, congrats. Uh, right? And uh, so he had me on for a brief segment, and... Um, where was I going with this? Um, and uh, self promotion, being on new platforms and social medias, <laughs> reading comments, not looking at yes, you're and apparently there was there you go, you got it, validation. Um, no, uh, you're right, you're right. It, it, what it was was that uh, people were sending in, uh, they were having a live chat while they were doing it, and 
they got some questions in from a live chat. One of them was, when's the next Gigantacast? Oh, <laughs> so nice. I really appreciated that. That made me really happy. So Answer, right meow. Night, no. <laughs> this will be the third one I've recorded in a week's time. So We're on a roll. Yeah, it'll probably. Sleeps for the week or the same, whatever. Whatever. Yes. Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, like I said, we're talking about Godzilla the Planet Eater. Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by this movie. You can't see <laughs> you it, but we're all raising it, our hands. We're all raising our hands. I didn't. So I have and a lot I, of I probably thoughts. have some dissenting opinions. Quinn's then. beautiful, and we love him for this. It, I mean, here's the thing: is I there was this is one of the things I do really like about these movies is that boy, howdy, they got some cojones on them. They got some balls, and they're gonna they're gonna do some stuff whether you like it or not. <laughs> Accurate. And it's almost like. These films are boldly defiant. It's almost like they don't give a shit if you like them or not. <laughs> they just, they simply are. Which I would say is an important aspect of art, is if you have a vision, you should go ahead and create it and not necessarily pander to what the people want, because quite frequently, the people don't even really know what they want. <gasps> well, uh, you know what? See Star Trek Discovery, for an example. Oh. I think that show's awesome, and it directly, like, answers a bunch of criticisms that Star Trek fans have had since the 60s, and yet everyone hates it. It's a very valid... Not everyone hates it. I love it. I love it, too, but I still think that it's what everyone asked for. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery is what everyone asked for, and then they ended up not liking it, mostly because of pointy Klingons. Matt and I (laughs) have had a lot of conversations about exactly that subject in the process of him educating me on this genre and this fandom is, you know, what has been expected, what has always happened versus where is the future of it? Where is it going? Mm -hmm. You know, and how does it grow and evolve? And I completely agree with Quinn on the, you have to try new things. You have to follow your instinct and learn more about the genre through self-exploration. So I'm about it. Is it different? Is it unique? Absolutely. It's a snowflake, but I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a, that kind of summarizes a lot of my initial feelings, especially towards the uh, this little weird cul-de-sac in the franchise uh, specifically. But just to catch everybody up, although if you're listening to this, you've probably seen all, all three, three movies, or or you're waiting to see if the third one is worth watching. If you haven't yet, pause it, go watch it, then come back. There you go, sure. Yeah. You know. It's uh, worth 90 minutes of your time. Absolutely. I think all of us will agree on that. It, it definitely leaves an impression. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, okay, so... There are worse things no, you can do with your no, time. No. There's I mean, always, I I like there's always worse things you can do. Oh. We could what have a list, that? but that, that's a separate podcast. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Gigantic ass after dark. Oh, my. Beverages oh, my God, I'm here for this? I'm here for this. I was just saying we need to do that. Oh, my oh God. can't we? You guys are amazing. I'm on board. <gasps> anyway. Oh, my so God. Yes. Okay, yeah, so... Tangent. Okay, so, no, that's fine. Um, So, just to catch people up, just in case, just in cases, um... This is the third of these animated Godzilla films. Now, this is the first time that there has been a proper, properly budgeted, animated Godzilla anything from Japan, aside from some fan stuff, some cameos in other anime. There was a little children's anime in the 90s that was super adorable. It was mostly about learning how to count. And um, it was very cute. Uh, what you do with your giant radioactive monsters. Duh. Godzilla and Angiris got in a fight. <laughs> and then they were mad at each other. And then Mecha, me Godzilla, cry, Mecha Godzilla started taking advantage of it. Whoa. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, 
this is like... This is not that. This is not that. This is not that. <laughs> Toho basically said, screw it, we're making a an actual big animated Godzilla feature, which, again, has not been made before. I mean, there have been two animated Godzilla television series in America, but beyond that, you know... This uh, is uh, collectively known as the Godzilla anime, or the Netflix Godzilla anime, or whatever we want to refer to it as. Um, the first one is, of course, Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, the title, of course, being a takeoff of King of the Monsters. The second one is Godzilla, City on the Edge of Battle, which is, of course, a reference to City on the Edge of Tomorrow. And the third one is just The Planet Eater, which... As a stickler for thematics, I kind of hate that two of these movies in this trilogy have the word planet in the title. Uh, and that's maybe that's just me being pedantic, but the, the Japanese title is Hoshi Oku Mono, which literally translates to the star eater, devourer of stars. It's like, I don't know, just planet of monsters and then planet eater. I, that, that, that. Throws me the wrong way. I would have preferred something like Devourer of or Eater of Worlds or something. Like, I don't know. I just shut up, leave me alone. There's more going on than just that. Like, that's a thing, but there's more. Right, right. And I just, I just, I like titles to not repeat themselves if you're making a series and I don't know. Shut up! Um, (laughs) Again, raise your hand if you've been personally (laughs) victimized by this franchise. Once again, we're all raising our hands. So the films. Except Quinn. These films are. It's fine. These films are co-directed by Kobun Shizuno and Hiroki Sashita, who uh, have worked on... Um, they are both animation directors. Uh, I believe they worked on the Knights of Sidonia, or at least one of them did. And, um, you know, uh, and they're perfectly talented directors and stuff. And it was actually very interesting because, uh, based on what I had, uh, the interviews I had read leading up to this release, Toho specifically, like, told, like, cut these guys loose. Like, said... Make your vision, and they also, have, of course, have Gen Urobuchi, who's the writer, the ver- the writer for these films, who is best known for uh, movies like, um, not movies, sorry, um, animated series like Madoka Magica. He worked. He he was the writer on Common Rider Gaim, which is a, uh, a a critically acclaimed Common Rider series. He wrote this uh, this really fun show that I want to watch more of. It's on Crunchyroll. It's um, Thunderbolt Fantasy. It's like it's, <gasps> it's oh he did oh, yeah samurai puppets what? Uh, samurai they're Chinese it's like wuxia um, martial arts but they're puppets and he wrote that wuxia so, wuxia is it wuxia. wushu or wuxia 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 yeah, yeah I was gonna say Quinn knows um, well, yeah, I, well, I don't it's, know how to pronounce well, Chinese Cantonese but <laughs> W U X I A is the Roman wuxia wuxia I don't know I it's don't it's know. a chi- it's Chinese sword fighting genre. Ah. Sort of like how samurai films in Japan are called chambara films because chambara is the sound effects that is sound effect like clashing swords make. <laughs> you learned a fact. Wow. Um, anyway, I've been educated. <laughs> so, the basic setup. Just again, catch everybody up. Right. This is the future. It's twenty thousand years in the future. Humanity had humanity basically said, "Okay, Godzilla, you can just have Earth. <laughs> you know, we don't want to deal with that anymore." We're GTFOing, GTFO off this planet, uh, and then um, they discovered that the planet they tried to go to sucked and couldn't support life. It's basically Mass Effect Andromeda. So um, <laughs> more plot. Uh, so then um, they decided, "Okay, well, we've got this one guy, Haruro. He's." Uh, angry, angry, sad boy. He he's uh, just real mad. He has a personal vendetta against. That's right. He has a personal vendetta against Godzilla, and he created a comprehensive plan to defeat Godzilla. 
they go back to Earth. They discover that uh, thanks to the warp speed engine they used, and thanks to time dilation, 20,000 years have passed. And they're like, oh shit, the entire ecosystem of the planet now basically lives to serve Godzilla. And the uh, and Godzilla is now the biggest and baddest Godzilla that ever exists. It's this giant, like, thousand-foot-tall Godzilla. Made out of trees, or something. Um, second movie. Uh, the, the One of the alien races that was helping the humans to escape Earth, uh, the Bill of Saludians, left a... Uh, they left a Mechagodzilla on Earth. The nanometal nano that created the Mechagodzilla... Um, created itself a city, a self-sustaining city, so that it could one day ba- eventually be revived and kill Godzilla, because that's all it's programmed to do. They also discovered that there are a descendants... As well as terraform and absorb organic matter in order to reproduce. That's, that's, a, that's where it eventually evolved, right. yeah. too, yeah. And they also discovered that humanity has uh, descendants, the Hotua. Uh, they are uh, kind of half-human, half-bug people. Uh, as far as we know, they worship a god who is in an egg. I don't know why I'm doing the finger quotes. Nobody can see me. No one can see your finger quotes. Anyway, that shit didn't go well because nanomachines, nanometal turns out not that best idea. Now things have kind of been boiled down to, uh, the last remaining human survivors and, um, one of the other alien races, the Exif. Specifically, uh, Mr. Mephis, or as we call him on the show... Mephis. <laughs> He's Matt Face. He's Matt Face. all his beautiful gloriousness. Yes. He's, Ships for days. He's basically saying that, look, all oh, your cute little mortal plans failed. Time to bring in the big guns. Uh, and that leads into this movie. So, I've talked enough um (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're here for just laying just laying down the The, basic setup so okay so starting off this movie this movie i think starts off with some of the worst animated scenes of the entire trilogy i think it's really awkward when some of the the beginning characters are just walking oh yeah it's very clearly like Really, you think so? Yeah, I, I thought it was. Exposition, exposition, it was very, it was very glaring that the the animation in the very very beginning is poor. And I, as someone who's defended the animation of the trilogy, it was particularly rough to see that. But that being said, I think it was kind of localized in the very very beginning of the film, and it's a couple of shots of just characters walking, mm. where it's like very glaring that they don't fit in with the background. Interesting. And it, it reminded me honestly of reboot, <laughs> like way back in the day. Shots fired. So, other than that, I thought some really interesting stuff comes up in the very beginning of the film. Um, I believe his, the character, the doctor's name is Martin. Yeah, Dr. Martin. Mm -hmm. Dr. Martin. Um, He and another person are uh, kind of checking in on Godzilla. Right. uh, Godzilla Earth. Mm. Anyway. And um, he, noticing that he's dormant and uh, also like kind of discussing the, the nanometal and the fact that the Godzilla city is, or Mecha Godzilla city is now inactive, mm-hmm. and it's been I think melted. It, yeah, it's it's being melted because of the heat. And uh, I think it's Martin brings up the the question of like whether it's almost like a Calvinistic pre determinism of like was humanity society part of Godzilla's evolution? Was it like he brings up the question like was Godzilla the end result? of arc contribution 
or were we the beginning contribution that enabled Godzilla to exist? Like, were we predetermined to do all of this? Is Godzilla the natural result right. of, humanity, of humanity, of, 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 of civilization itself? Which is a question that, like you said, people right. have been asking for centuries. Like, shit, there was a South Park episode about that, where these sea monkeys that the boys had achieved sentience, created a society, and then destroyed each other with nukes. And, and, it, and there's just this casual throwaway line towards the end of the episode. It was like, oh yeah, I guess, um... I guess war is the inevitable end result of a society uh, destroying itself. And I'm like, well, damn. The, we're supposed to be here to laugh. Um, <laughs> so it, def- it definitely brings out the, the psychological and philosophical guns early, and it certainly continues that throughout the rest of the film. And oh, I, my I really, God, yes. I think that that's probably my favorite thing about this trilogy, is mm. the fact that we, we get kind of a, a Nietzschean... Like Ubermensch, like thus spoke Zarathustra with the Billisaludians, right? And then we get um, through the Exif this kind of uh, fatalism, mm-hmm. very much a very nihilistic. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, like two competing alien races with their own philosophies, and they're both convinced utterly that they're right. And it's really interesting to see how they interact with the humans and how they try to manipulate them in their own way. Yeah, well. The hell am I supposed to follow yeah, that? Up? That's our podcast. We're done here. That's really all you need. Oh so, man, Quinn, awesome. Yeah, yes. great. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, Damn. he, he put the, hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the, I've, I've been saying for a, since this trilogy started that, especially with the second one, is that this is movies are really about wars of philosophies than they are about wars of the monsters. But you know, um, I will say, and this is something that Jen <laughs> brought up, which was. Um, you know what? As interesting as it is, the things that they are saying, boy, howdy, you really feel the exposition in this one. If That's by fair. feeling yeah. you mean is it a sledgehammer to your face the entire movie? <laughs> then yes, absolutely. Just guys, just that. That's my like my one peeve about this thing was just there. There was so much opportunity for really elegant storytelling that could have happened in this final chapter, mm-hmm. and it. I almost wish it had been four chapters rather than three because mm. there was so much that they just crammed all at you in your face in this last one. Right. And mm. there, there, you always should show rather than tell. And it's like there's so much they had to cover so quickly that they had to just tell you about it then make it happen. And like that really heavy dialogue beginning of the movie and then the really heavy dialogue end of the movie. Uh-huh. I just, it, that was the one thing that left some to be desired for me. And I remember so as we were watching it, I'm sitting here just slowly, the eyebrow raising and twitching and like, okay, enough. <laughs> well, okay, five more minutes of it. Okay, you're, you're, you're still going here. <sighs> just, just show me something, please. It, it, it was, unf- it was like, there was so much really interesting imagery in this movie, especially towards the end when we got into, uh, into the nihilism void, which I also have uh, nicknamed the exposition void. Uh, Because, I mean, when they keep cutting back to the exposition void, it almost becomes like a trigger where I'm just like, oh god, here comes more exposition! Um, And I mean, again, it's not to say that the stuff that they're saying isn't interesting Uh -uh. or doesn't... I mean, that's the thing. From what I understand... Now, I don't personally have any any, uh, sources to back this up, but from what I have been told... um, this was uh, intended to be a series, like a proper series, and it just got funneled into a film at some into films at some point. I think because 
Toho probably saw there was more of a profit margin there, especially with the deal with Netflix. Again, those are all decisions made behind closed doors. I don't know that for a fact, but it really makes you wonder, like, what this would have looked like as a series, and would there have been more to it? And (laughs) it probably would have been a 2D humans 3D kaiju. I mean, there's no telling, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I I think that yeah that that oh, it, it's so funny. Um, when I so when I was in Japan, oh, hashtag humble brag. Uh, I, I how you pointed out every time you humble brag too. <laughs> like he pre-labels his own humble brags. Yeah, and I know it makes me immune from criticism. Um, Is that how that works? That's how I'm the going works. to remember that you said that later. We are going to soundbite that. We are. Continue. I'm going to find one of those red buttons that you can put the sound things on. I'm going to have it. To punch. It makes I me want. immune from criticism. It makes me immune from criticism. <laughs> it makes me immune from criticism. It makes me immune from criticism. So anyway, anyway, uh, when I I first saw it uh, opening weekend, and um, I first saw it opening weekend, and I I I was no, it wasn't opening weekend. It was the weekend after. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, and I in and theaters I, in Japan. In theaters in Japan, and uh, no subtitles, so I got s- steam coming out of my ears. And oh god, no subtitles for this particular film. Oh my god, yeah. honey, so I've seen three Godzilla movies, three talky ass Godzilla movies without subtitles in Japanese theaters. Now <laughs> I'm gonna die. Um, anyway, um, it's a good way to go. But this one, I just remembered being like, like coming out of it, and I was very fortunate because I had uh, a friend of the show, Toshi, uh, with us, uh, as well as. Um, a couple other bilingual friends who were able to kind of kind of parcel out some of the details because I got what was going on, but you know, when it's a, a lot of dialogue in a language you don't understand, it eventually kind of just becomes white noise, and you just kind of it just becomes like just a blur, really, and then eventually something visual will happen. Uh, <clears throat> but so it became Godzilla Fantasia Edition. Oh my God, what a concept! <laughs> I love that. Yeah, there actually is. A VHS floating around out there called Godzilla Fantasia, I think, and I think it's just fight scenes from Godzilla movies set to Ifakube music. I and it was something it. Toho put it. out Here back in like it. the Toho put that out back in like the nineties or something. Um, anyway, uh, and then when I saw it, we, I went to go see it a second time with my friends Alan and Madison, and they both wanted to see it, but we had some trouble getting to the theater, and um, we. We were like twenty minutes late, <laughs> but oh, I told them when I when I walked in when we walked in I saw where we were in the plot and I and I said oh we didn't miss anything <laughs> it's just it's getting now it's getting good like it's getting interesting and then later I told them what happened and I was able to tell them what happened in like a sentence and again that's not to say that we should necessarily have a reductionist philosophy towards dialogue where it's like the less the less the less the less the less the better i love dialogue in movies but again there's got there has to be a bit of a balance and i feel like they were a little too indulgent with the script in this just a tiny bit uh, by which i mean a lot um <laughs> but yeah so i mean at this opening scene we've established that um also um from the last movie uh yuko Yuko. 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 Yuko is now brain dead. She's yep. just a, a lump made out of nanomachines. She's a veggie table. That, a table made of veggies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I know that Morgan's got some opinions on that. I have so many opinions, but I will withhold them for now. Oh. They're, they're all about they're all about the end mostly. Oh, oh all right, okay. that's fair. All right, it's not. It, it's not. We'll get into it. It's not great. We'll, we'll get there. That one, just to touch on what this, what I think we're all thinking is, it's not great that one of the three actual characters in the movie who happen to be female uh, gets fridged. Is a literal object. Yeah, gets literally turned into an actual object. A plot that's, device that's used later as a plot device. It's not. Yep. It's not yep. great. In 2019, we should be past this. I mean, I look, I get it. It's hard to criticize another culture for the way that they internalize and create media. But at the same time, from our perspective, it, this movies, these movies are already kind of a sausage party. And uh, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like it, they needed to be. Um, nope. So They did a great job of populating... All the background and the side characters with with female characters with POC, different races with, with POC characters, but again, none of them were the main characters. They weren't characters. They were just they were they were set dressing essentially. They were, they were set dressing. Yeah, and uh, you know, but beyond that, uh, you know, it, it is a lot of talk and it's a lot of uh, well, what you're seeing though is you're seeing Metfees. Metface, Matface, whatever. He's he's Mephistopheles. There you go. He is he, he really That's leans into, he really leans into our Mephistophelesian um covenants here and he's uh he's really leaning into these Faustian uh parallels of uh, he's trying to offer people salvation because he's basically sees his opportunity now. Yeah. And there's we, a there's a very clear moment too where um Dr. Martin and Haruo are talking and they kind of like you see Metfees just kind of like take the discussion from like how the the Bilusaludians were wrong, right? And that now he's got the answer. And there's just like there's this moment where you just see that like uh, Martin and Haruo like understand that they're exchanging one evil for another, mm-hmm. but they're kind of powerless to do anything about it. And I think that that was a really cool like that's. Probably my third favorite moment in the movie oh, is like goodness. that yeah. that transition from like we were screwing up before, but now I have the answer, and that's like he he waited for the opportune moment, which is kind of the like, all according to Keikaku. <laughs> of his, uh, I got that reference um, of his plan, but mm. uh, translators note Keikaku means plan. Yeah, sorry, I had to complete it's the meme j- there. It's a joke. Yeah, so, do we should we go ahead and say spoilers or because I mean we are going to talk about it in depth. I mean, we, yes, of course we yeah. we're 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 in, we're gonna we might as well. Yeah, it's yeah. a third movie. It's a discussion. We might as well go full on into spoilers. Um, and I mean, did you have a? No, I just because we're, we're I feel like yeah. we started we, to get past the setup now, right. so I just want to. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's true. If you we haven't watched the movie, into, yeah. stop what you're doing, go watch it, and then come back. Or if you're not, oh, if you don't mind spoilers, keep listening. But we're going to talk about some stuff, and it's going to get deep. One of the morning. points. One of the points of listening to a to a review, listening to a podcast, or watching a YouTube video that's a, a review or whatever, reading reviews in general, even after you've seen the movie, is to maybe help yourself contextualize your own thoughts. And, um, hopefully that's a for service we'll provide. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, well, both, uh, both Jen and Morgan also pointed out, and this is something that you're, I feel like you're leading into, um, Quinn, is that essentially it's in a lot of ways kind of the same plan. It's, I'm going to take this group 
And we're essentially, in order to defeat, with the, with the intended goal of defeating Godzilla, we are going to essentially give up ourselves, give up our humanity. Right. I mean, with uh, the Bull of Saludians, it was a little more of a, um, we're, we're still thinking, but our, again, our humanity is gone, and right. we're part of a greater machine now, and we're giving up our identities. With this one, it's a little more of, oh, um, ceasing to exist is the only way to, the only way to defeat Godzilla is to die. And hopefully, eventually, Godzilla will die, too. It's uh, it's fucked up. Yeah. It's fucked up. Well, they also, both the Bill of Saludians, Nanometal, and uh, Ghidorah were going to destroy the planet in yes. one way or another. So not only are you sacrificing yourself, but you're sacrificing the planet that you're on, hence Planet Eater. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like in the fucking title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I found it interesting that this film... Took such, so it's like the first two films were kind of this Princess Mononoke esque, you know, kind of the the this is all happening because of your actions. We're setting up this grand scene, and you're going, you're working towards something. And then the last film is just like we're gonna nail you over the head with like all of the existential dread of how exactly you've screwed your own society over, and how <laughs> this is really all your fault. So you should really just go ahead and die and let it just all like come back to natural balance and stuff. That the the overt commentary about social situations and the dynamic of how humans interact with their world and how they end up corrupting and and that leads to all of these problems, which is actually the physical manifestation of Godzilla in this aspect. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of and it it's one of those as you're sitting and watching it, or at least as I was, it hits you right over the head that oh, I see what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing something have such a very strong impression while talking about something so serious. So it's, it's very interesting. I think that um, it, it's so it's so interesting because we're, 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 we were kind of joking around and I feel like now we're like really getting, getting into, the into it. We're getting into it, mm-hmm. yeah. Because this movie really, it kind of leaves you with a pretty major impression. I mean, I remember getting, walking out of the theater, um, again, with, with Alan and Madison, and Alan... Madison and that, Madison and I were kind of like, bah, 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 you know, we're talking about it because we're both teenage girls. And um, Alan was like, "I gotta, I gotta digest that." <laughs> That's kind of how I yeah. felt at the end of it. I, yeah. I left Matt's house after watching it and went home and just had like thirty to forty-five minutes of quiet time of just thinking about Ooh, how wow. in the world does this affect my life? It <laughs> well, it does. I mean, mm-hmm. having that conversation about your actions and how they proceed forward and how to live your life and the hubris therein. That's that's deep stuff, guys. It's like right in the fields. Sure. I think that, honestly, I mean, this is one of the things that I will defend is that Ken Arabucci is a smart writer. He's a little overindulgent. Uh, and um, but, I, but he's a smart guy, and I think that had this been in the hands of, of any other writer... Uh, I, I just, I feel like only Urobuchi could have really delivered this material. I just wish that somebody maybe reined him in a little bit. How, what do you <clears> mean <throat> when you say overindulgent? What are you thinking of specifically in that? Uh, just the, just purely the, the act of maybe we need to edit some of this dialogue down. Um, because there's so much of it. And we need to put a little more, a little more visual storytelling in, like you were saying. Okay. But just, just a, you know, just a, a hair, but a hair in either direction uh, or, or specifically in that direction, would I think have been to the film's benefit. But at the same time, I think that it had been another writer who 
I think in the hands of another writer, this would have all been very cliched, which is funny because <clears throat> if you really boil, if you if you were just to describe the surface uh, the surface elements of what happens in the movie, a lot of it does sound kind of cliched. Like this is this is territory that uh, some films have gone before. I just feel that this one presents it in such a specifically unique framework that I think that that's why it kind of it leaves an impression on you. I mean, a lot of people I've talked to who don't like the first two movies said. You know what? I actually kind of like this one, or I like this one. I I hated this one the least. <laughs> High praise, right? And uh, um, it's but it, get, getting into the movie itself, um, you know, uh, uh, Metfees is. Um, I can't, I'm actually questioning myself whether his name is actually Metfees or Matface. Um, just Metfees. I know they are one. Um, and so he's. He has been again. He's really push. He's pushing everyone towards this, towards the action of summoning their god, quote unquote. It's the god that he's been referring to since the very beginning, since the last two movies. So, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Haruo, sad boy Haruo. Apparently, ladies like the sad boy because <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm shocked. <laughs> Look at my shocked face. Yeah, I, I honestly don't super know exactly how I feel about the romantic subplot. I know how I feel about it. Okay, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it? I have many feels on this subject, oh, surprising boy. nobody, because <clears throat> the Hotu are kind of my my like favorite thing about this series. Right. Man, I was disappointed by their interactions with him in this last movie. Like, the whole Miana Mina thing just killed me. Like, the our function in this thing is, you're, oh, you're sad, so we're going to make you feel better. Yep. We're, we are now woman flesh for you because yep. that's our purpose in life. That they went from being the protectors of their people and of the dynamic of the planet to we're now here to help soothe your troubled, chaotic, your mind. man pain. That makes and carry zero, your genetic material to turn. zero sense to me as a human being. I am <laughs> very, very. Man, that killed me. And the, the like, oh, well, we were together once. And so now her whole, uh, her whole job in the society has now changed and is now that of becoming the pregnant mom to carry the baby before he goes off and does the thing and leaves her by herself. Just, ugh. Oh, it, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. And just you wait. I'm and saving just, this up. They were the warriors of their people. And then you got to take that power from them and give it to the man. And that's disappointing. It's very disappointing guys. Yep. I feel like I, I almost don't, I almost don't want to make the assumption that that was the intention. But again, as we've ta- as we've mentioned before, death of the author intent is sometimes irrelevant. I, I, as we, but as as Maury and I have definitely talked about, a lot of specifically Japanese storytelling tends to kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. Mm. They want to have this interesting transgressive view of what is essentially a an indigenous society. Uh, and they want to have these warrior, these protectors of their people and stuff. And they also, but they also want to have like this, it's just so funny because it's like, I don't want to slap the label of, oh, you just want a TNA in this on them because there's not, it's not really a very titillating experience. It's sad. Well, it's, it's not even necessarily about the sexualization of them to me. It's, it's about the removal of agency and power from those characters that Mm. was so clearly developed through the, the second film. Yeah. So not even necessarily just dealing with Harlow, but in dealing with uh, Matt piece as well, Mm. when 
um, Miana leaves Haro to sleep, and then she shows up in the temple, and there's Matt Feast doing his little telecommunication bit with his people. Yeah. And then they turn around and they start having their dialogue, and she, like, she steps to him, and she tells him, like, you've been doing this shit the whole time. I saw this coming. I, I have my eye on you. You were telepathic. So she's building up this. to this confrontation with him. And then all he has to do is walk into her space, grab her by the arm, and she's immediately overpowered and succumbs to him. What is that? She was a warrior. She was trained to fight and had proven that she was an exceptional warrior. He is not in any way a warrior. He was, in fact, a very clerically minded person. So right. there should have been much more of an exchange of power happening there. And Absolutely. Yeah. Skipped right on over that and, oh, well, she's the woman in the situation or she's the weaker of the situation, obviously, because we have a point to prove. So I, I was going to say. Overpowered and there you go. The point to prove was they wanted to show how powerful Ghidorah was and that just uh, having him enter your mind can fuck with you. And but they do that later. Yeah, they, he doesn't right. enter her mind. He, he Matt Feast directly overpowers her physically and then gets into her brain. That's a good point. Right. That's the, a very that, good point. If it had been the other way around, if it had been his mental power had overcome her, much more believable and much more in line with the plot of the film. It's so interesting because he doesn't need to physically overpower Haruo. He just has to look at him. Yeah. And you know what? Now the more I think about... They have a bond. They have a very special... (laughs) Well, that and he's also upgraded himself at that point. Right. He directly connected to the power at that point, so it makes sense. Right. But I feel like they did that with Miana specifically because she she had been um, sort of set up intentionally and I think for the sake of the subversion later with Mina. She had been set up as sort of the quote-unquote the other love interest besides Yuko. And so, like, they wanted to put her in this situation where she was, like, like trapped on this hillside to give, I think, to give Haro a reason to go up there. But he would have done that anyway because he and Matt and Metfees have an established relationship it, at it this was, point. That you see has been happening since the very yes, beginning. That has actual pathos and buildup. Yep. There was no reason to trap her. Like, except for the one exchange where she's like, oh, no, my sister, she said Ghidorah. Like, you didn't even need that. All you would have had to say is like, hey, where'd Metfis go? I think he's on that hill. Haro would have fucking gone. You didn't need to trap her. You didn't need to to imprison her up there as, quote, unquote, a sacrifice. It It was unnecessary in every way. It was just done to, one, get her away from Haro so we could have this, quote, unquote, subversion where it's like, oh, actually, it was mine the whole time. And, like, to give, like, this false sense of urgency about, like, you know, she's in danger, Haro, go help her. She was unneeded in every sense. I, I'm, I'm literally, as you're talking, I'm rewriting the scene in my head <laughs> where basically, in her Matt's fanfic corner, where basically, uh, <clears throat> uh, see, I'm getting them all mixed up. <laughs> which one's Mina and which one's Miana? Miana was the nice one. And Mina was angry face. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Miana was... That's Miana. And then Mina is the one who was the... The, the surly nurse, one. Yeah. Who, who ends up being with him at the end. Right. And becoming the mom. Okay, so, um, okay, so basically I had this image in my head of, um, more or less divide and conquer, where, um, maybe, uh, Haro goes, like, then, like, Haro goes to confront, uh, Matface, and one of the sisters goes with him for some reason. Like, at some point, everybody gets separated. She goes with him to have this conversation, and she maybe got her bow and arrow, and then that's when um, 
Matt Fee's, Matt Face shows his power <clears throat> and it overpowers both of them. And, uh, just, just psychically. And that's, then you can still have the other one go and with Dr. Martin mm-hmm. to our, um, our, uh, uh, our big cameo to enact our big cameo of the movie. But, um, you know, that, that is a, you know, these aren't perfect. These definitely aren't perfect films. I mean, no film is perfect. No, no work of fiction is perfect. Uh, they're made by people and people are flawed. Um, but I do agree the way these films treat women and the way these films are kind of, it it, it is, uh, again, it's this kind of have your cake and eat it too. And I think we are more or less kind of all on the same page with that. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, you can have a disparaging opinion if you want. I it's I feel that me being a dude has the unfortunate side effect of like that wasn't as emotionally jarring to me mm. and it's that's an, and that's, that's, a, that's, that's, okay. a, that's a that's a slight, that's a slight on me from my like straight white guy perspective. <laughs> um it's fine dude. But uh because no, I, I, did see, I, did, I did see it as problematic. But I also, and I, I really wish that there had been some kind of like obvious psychic assault mm-hmm. on Miana, because that that would have made more sense. Like that's that was a, a glaring flaw in that whole interaction. Was like if if she had confronted him about his telekinetic powers, and then he revealed that he was he was sandbagging even more, and that he could like <laughs> yep. mentally dominate people. That would just been a cooler that, that would have been a cooler scene. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and it, it would have made more sense. It just was. It was frustrating because. The, um, again, I think that, now I, and again, I actually share this with you. The, those things didn't, I, I, like I said, I didn't really know how I felt about it. And hearing other perspectives, specifically perspectives with women, helps to think like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really think that wasn't at the forefront of my mind in this. Um, I think they also just wanted that scary scene of him physically overpowering her because it's just scary. Right. And, but again... Yeah, because nothing else in this movie was fucking horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Mm -hmm. what I latched onto, I think, (laughs) is the the cosmic horror. And Mm -hmm. the fact that Ghidorah is a better Cthulhu monster than has been put into any high-budget... Lovecraftian-based film. Ever, as far as I'm concerned, and I watch a lot of them. There's not a lot of high budget. Let me preface that there's not a lot of high budget Lovecraftian monsters on the main screen, but the way they handled the cosmic horror uh, was so good that I kind of it may have blinded me. But um, that was uh, such a references. good. You're right, though. It was such a good integration of that the, kind to maybe of, some oh, of the man, more flawed so aspects of the film. It, it, exactly. It's like it, you've you've got to give the movie props. You know, it like like. It's totally okay to praise a film with one hand and, and criticize, criticize them with the other. Of course. Uh, that's how criticism works. Right. I, I do agree. I think that the, the, this was, and this is what the way I've really sold, tried to sell this film to people that I've talked to is that this is a really excellent integration of cosmic horror into Godzilla that hasn't really been touched on in the past. And especially with this whole, like, there's a cult, there's, Whatever this thing is, it probably doesn't give a shit about any of these people, and it probably is barely even aware that Metfees exists. Well, the Gimatron is how they came about a lot of decision-making. So they know that they communicate with Ghidorah, and they have been, because Ghidorah was the 
the force behind the Gematron calculation. Well, was it was he the force behind yeah, the calculations, like, yeah. or was yeah, the Gematron? Yeah. And I I think uh, I think I brought this up in the review of the previous movie in that the 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 Gematron calculation computer, the way it communicated, mm-hmm. was thematically and um, grammatically very similar to the way that Mothra communicates to the Hotua. And mm-hmm. I thought that's why I called out that Ghidorah was the god behind the computer the whole time. Because they they made that connection apparent to me anyway. It just um, so he he might not ultimately care, but it, it, he's certainly connected to the EXIF in an integral way. Sure, and of they they rely on Ghidorah's like other dimensional nature in order to make predictions because the Gematron calculation like didn't seem it was able to predict the future probably based on the same way that Ghidorah doesn't functionally exist in this universe, in this dimension, in the same way. So he, it's able to communicate aspects because it probably exists outside of time and the other, like, weird... Like, they, it, doesn't ex, it doesn't get explained because it doesn't have to be explained, and that's part of the cosmic horror element. They're, they're drawing right. on Ghidorah and using its unnatural otherworldliness to make these uh, calculations and predictions. I, 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 I mean, that's, that's, that probably, that could totally be in the text of the film. I may have just not have picked up on it, but the way I was interpreting it, uh, I mean, that is, maybe that is how it is, but and this, I, I have further evidence to support that. All right. All right. <laughs> Ghidorah kills the bridge crew. Right. And they notice that they're like their life signs on the computer signs die Stop. out before yeah. they actually do. So he, He's, his very nature bends and distorts reality, and it becomes more present as he as he actually manifests. But so, like, I think that that's what they were going for, the fact that he breaks the rules just by being weird. Uh, right. It's, it's a, that's a, <laughs> as some can call that a plot contrivance or whatever, but as someone who, like, eats up shitty, uh, like, sci-fi and horror novels from the 1920s and 30s, like... I love that stuff. Like that, that was very Lovecraft. That was very, um, August Derelith. That was Robert E. Block. Like that was sure how that, how you, you get to explain away some stuff by it just breaks the rules because it doesn't, it doesn't belong here. It doesn't exist. Right. And that, and that, um, I mean, I, I, I picked up on that. Okay. Like I picked up on the fact that it is it is a it's a creature from they even say it in the film. It's a creature from another dimension. And mm-hmm. and Metfees himself even points out that part of of them accepting Ghidorah and and basically sacrificing Godzilla to Ghidorah and the rest of the planet would help Ghidorah fully take root in this dimension because we get the impression that the heads are just projections. It's not physically Ghidorah. Like, we see literally shadows of Ghidorah when when Haruo goes to confront Metfees, of course, he gets thrown into the, the void of exposition. And <laughs> he's and he sees vision and, and everybody else also sees visions of Ghidorah as well. This this the actual, classic wings. The and wings and everything. It looks like the Bandai figure. Um the stupid peeled fruit Bandai figure. Um that I love him. Uh and but I guess I guess the way I interpreted it was that the the Exif uh using their technology were seeking essentially what lies beyond existence itself. And through their technology into this other dimension, they discovered this entity, Ghidorah. And and now they're and then harnessing his energy is how they're able to do the things that they do. But um 
I guess just to me, it felt like Ghidorah wasn't really party to a lot of the decision-making. It was just taking advantage of the fact that it was essentially being fed on chaos and life itself. Fair. Um, but you know what? Yeah. Either way is totally fine. Again, it's that very Lovecraftian thing. I just... Um, uh, also, as a quick side note for uh, Godzilla and Lovecraft fans, Shusuke Kaneko, the director of uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Dying Monsters, All Out Attack, uh, directed a segment of the Call of Cthulhu film from the 90s, I believe. Um, Very cool. It was, uh, it was, it was, I think it's his own, today it's his only work he did in America, but, uh, and I don't know which of the stories he did, but it's like an anthology film that came out and, um, all practical effects and weird shit. Um, as you do. Yes. He directed one of those segments. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, and of course, this whole time, what's going on with Godzilla? He's, he's trying to fight Ghidorah. And um, it's an excellent opportunity to loop footage of Godzilla so we can save money of him roaring while Ghidorah is attacking him. And although, by the end, we do get to finally see Godzilla be a bit of a badass. Like, he finally gets to have some cool, actual moments, you know. Um, but really, the story is completely centered around Haro and Metfees. And I actually really like a lot of the imagery we see. Again, the, the, the decision to put them... On it, it was the Enola Gay, wasn't it? The the yeah. sh- the plane yeah. that yeah. dropped uh, Fat Man onto Hiroshima. They put they they put Haro and Netfees on that fucking plane, which I thought was really fucking ballsy for them to do that because visually it was very jarring. Yes, I mean it's something you don't see coming. Yeah, and it it's it's what I like about it is. Uh, and this this actually does tie back to a little tiny bit of uh, Ishiro Honda's ethos while he was directing the older Godzilla films. When it came to nuclear weaponry, he tended to not ascribe responsibility to any one nation. Uh, it was more that humanity was all in this together. And it's, it's just like Haruo is Japanese and Metfees is a- an alien – putting the two of them on the plane that bombed Japan just to make a point about humanity's march towards its own destruction was a really, really interesting, like, you're kind of all responsible for this <laughs> statement. And uh, and then, of course, you know, there's... I, 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 I literally, like, went... I went, <laughs> in the theater because Mothra gets her cameo. <laughs> Her very short cameo. Her psychic projection. So very short. Yeah. Too short. You get a quick little, a little, little, little teeny little bit of Mothra. Your little taste yeah. of Mothra. But really, she functions as the power to bridge, um, uh, shit. Miana's. No, Mina's. Mina's Mi- mind with Haro's. Yes. So he can, uh, hopefully, so they can try and... Right. Our resplendent, Met glorious lady of bonding people. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's very true. We are all part of the Church of Mothra here. Um, you will be. You will be. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I just, I thought all that imagery was really interesting. But I think the thing that, and of course, you know, Haro breaks free. I want to break free. Ooh, and nice. Yes. Nice. And uh, has that really... Uh, and, and it's really clear that th- this is extremely painful for Haruo because thankfully he, he, he basically has that whole like 
I remember my name thing, you know, because Haruo, uh, Haru means spring, and uh, he's fucking shit with his parents and whatnot. Symbolic! And, uh, yeah. and, um, his, and it, but it's clear that fighting against Metfees and essentially killing him is really painful for him, because Metfees is the most important person to him. And has been there the whole time. Yeah. Yep. In we've, both we've a... Seen their relationship develop, and we've seen, we've actually seen it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you see it through all three films, but then you also get to see, like, the conniving, like, nature of it in the, in the void of exposition, as Matt <laughs> is calling it. Um, because all of, all of the times that Metfees has done something for Hiro, he gets to see as, a, what they were, which was right. a manipulation and, uh, a, a really interesting use of the chosen one. Like storytelling yes. device. Yes. Like generally speaking, the chosen one, like the the call to action and the whole hero's journey thing is the the mentor character is a is a positive force, and we're right. we're seeing this from an antagonist aspect. And I thought that was a cool like way of dealing with a with a common trope in storytelling. Like Haruo is the chosen one, yes, <laughs> but not for a good reason, and you don't really get to see that until the third film. That this was all built like. He was being molded into the the tool that Metfees needed, which I think could could be really interesting as a um, as a as a very probably unintentional commentary on abusive relationships and how even though to even though Haro was important more as a pawn than a person to Metfees, but to to Haruo, Metfees. Was a really is a really important person that he really cared about and that and he felt supported by and and seeing and even though even though he <laughs> knows now that Mephis was manipulating him that Mephis was going to destroy the world. This is a very Star Warsian plotline. Yes, uh, I, I mean Anakin Emperor business. I mean, I was going to say uh, that was also something that George Lucas kind of fell ass backwards into was the idea that. The Jedi that were wrong. That people can write actual good stories. I, I mean, wait, wait. hey, that uh, the Jedi were wrong, and uh, their whole chosen one narrative blew up in their face. Yeah, uh, you know, or it skipped a generation. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, there's ways to there's ways there's all kinds of ways to reinterpret you it. You can't but we're not, dictate fight. I. <laughs> you can't do it. So I I, I feel that. I feel that the thing that everybody kind of wants to talk about, I mean, aside from the fact that Godzilla gets to kick Ghidorah's ass and it's fun, it's, it's really There's cool. a shout out to both the Godzilla 2014 final kill and yes. Mecha Godzilla versus Anguirus kind of. Yes, like, the, where he that, essentially pulls his face apart and it was, so good. it was really cool and Godzilla finally got to like, he got to be Godzilla. He got to be yeah. the Godzilla that we know him to be. And he it finally was, had a worthy opponent. Yes, yeah. and... And it was, you know, but I also real I always really appreciated it when the human characters, when the characters get to affect the outcome of the monster fight. And um, even though there wasn't really enough to it, I would have liked a little more of a fight. That's that's Fair. the fan in me talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. There's a lot of build up and then it's over. Yeah. There's, there's also an interesting um, thing. I, I think I've brought this up before and I don't know if this is a fuzzy memory or not, but I feel that uh, Godzilla Earth's eye... Mm has been shot to on occasion and I think that at some points it was viewed differently but generally he's blue eyed yes. like Haruo and there's a very like Haruo doesn't have blue eyes he's got grey eyes or gray? is he brown eyes? 
They're kind of a brown. Gray. They, they, there's a couple shots color. where it looks like there's there's meant to be a parody between Hadaro's eye and Godzilla's. Well, it, the, and that, it's, it's come. Yeah. It came off a little bit Final Warsy to me. <laughs> um, oh yeah, this. Nice. I was gonna say yeah, Jen has nice. not seen sure. Final Wars. We need to have her over and watch that. Okay. Okay. You have not My, seen Final Wars. Nope. Jen. Nope. Jen. I'm I think down. she's actually... I'm looking it up now. Oh, damn you, Wikipedia. Um, well, Godzilla... In other words, Godzilla has very human-looking eyes. Yes, I, I actually really like that he's got blue eyes. It's... Yeah, they're they're kind of like... They're I really dark. Too. They're kind of a black or, or dark gray. Fair. Um, I'm partially colorblind. That's my bad. I, it's okay. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, I'm seeing things that aren't there. But, um, yeah, so there, there there's a very big emphasis on eyes... Mm-hmm. Um, and vision well, in terrible. this film, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that that like there's a couple shots of Godzilla's eye when he's combating Ghidorah, or more accurately, being absorbed or right, or whatever. being essentially erased from existence by Ghidorah. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I actually really like those quick shots of Godzilla because you can even if you even if there's not even really any emotion on his face, you can project. Right. Emotion onto his face or some kind of thought process. But, okay, I think we put it off long enough, and I think the thing that everybody really wants to talk about is the epilogue, is the the actual ending of the film. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's destroying camera equipment now. I am. He's so excited. <laughs> uh, I know that Morgan's been waiting for this for a while. Go ahead, honey. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Yeah. You're the leadoff hitter. Yeah, you, you take us into the, what happens in the finale, in, after Godzilla has defeated Ghidorah. Okay, after... Um... <laughs> um, thanks, Matt. <laughs> I you just got something. You got to push him out of the nest sometimes. Um. So, so, so I'm gonna say something kind of unpopular and maybe a little bit mean. I'm really like like the Japanese obsession with the bucolic life. <laughs> I'm really getting bored of that narrative. <laughs> I see that. In so many things, and I can't name them all off the top of my head, but I see it all the time in different anime that I've watched or different movies that I've watched where they're like, oh, the evils of technology, we should all go back to being farmers. And I just keep goddamn seeing that, and they're just... it's not it's not new anymore. It's not fresh. So like I feel like I feel like a lot of the things like the philosophical discussions that they were having at us, the audience, throughout this entire movie are interesting. And I do think some of the ways they approach the topic are fresh, but the overall point that they're trying to make is so old now. I just mm. I've seen it. I've seen it. And in the in the epilogue where you know the breeding population has been killed off, so <laughs> clearly they're not going to have to adapt to the Hotua lifestyle and and start interbreeding and hope for the best and hope that all the diseases they brought back from the extreme past aren't going to kill everyone as they know it. <laughs> that's not something they brought up. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it seems like that's just kind of where they're going to leave off. They're like, yes, you know, technology bad, you know, ad- advancement bad. We should all be. We should all be peasant farmers and they were just going to leave off with that and i was like eh, i've seen it but okay but no no they got to take it a little bit further they gotta take it a little bit for i want to talk for a little bit i want to talk for a second about personal choice <laughs> it's our new series called choices um <laughs> i want to talk about the main themes from 
the second movie and this movie, and maybe the first movie, honestly, I don't remember much from the first movie. It was my least favorite of the three, so I've repressed <laughs> a lot of it. But so You just, see a lot of the first movie and the third movie via the void of exposition. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> Gotta save the budget! <laughs> so the thing with the Bill Salata and the nanometal, and like their whole thing was, you know, if we, if we, give up our individuality and we submit ourselves to the nanometal, we'll defeat Godzilla and we'll become something better than we are. And Haro and, and Haro said, no, <laughs> I want to be me. <laughs> and he was praised for it. And then in the third movie, the Exus said, we need to submit ourselves to Ghidorah. He'll eat everyone. We'll become part of our God and we'll become something more, something better. And Haro said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And he was praised for it. And then, so this this seemed to be championing this this idea of like like we have to preserve the individual's right to choose. Like we can't all submit ourselves to this to this mass entity and lose our individuality. So then, at the end of the movie, when it's revealed that Doctor Martin is like, "Hey, I used that real doll you were keeping around <laughs> to reactivate one of these flying machines. We can use the nanometal to replicate and bring back all of our ancient technology. And, you know, Haro immediately has, like, an existential crisis of, oh, God, it's starting again. Oh, God, the cycle. So this whole time, Haro, who's been this champion of, like, we shouldn't submit ourselves to to this thing. We should have the right to choose. He instead takes the thing that was Yuko, that was a person and is now an object. And he decides unilaterally to take this machine and fly it into Godzilla and basically make this big self-sacrifice to, like, save everyone from themselves. Like, stop the cycle before it even begins. Condemn all of these people that have lived their lives in a certain way with a certain type of technology to becoming part of the Hotua and, you know, peasant farmers. He doesn't discuss this with anyone. He certainly doesn't appear to discuss it with his with his pregnant baby mama. He has what little conversation he has, he has with the other one who's not the baby mama. And I You know what got me in that? What's mm. that? So there's the moment where the doctor is telling him, like, hey, I did this thing, this is what's gonna happen, and then he has his little like Twitch moment, and you hear the Ghidorah voice in the yes. So my question is, in the whole him being mind-connected with Matface and having the Matface connected to Ghidorah with the eyepiece mm-hmm. scenario happening, maybe some of the Ghidorah got into him, oh, and yeah. that is just part of that corruption still being inherent in him, and that's what led him to do that, rather than it just being... I'm going to save the, humanity. Well, because no, no, no. Ghidorah is going to make you do this thing, so it screws your people over. Yeah, that's Matt that's. Yeah. Say as long as you have this hatred or whatever, you know, philosophical mumbo jumbo. He's like Ghidorah will have his eye on you. Time is on our side. Yeah. So yeah, we can wait. Yeah. yeah, but you know what else would have stopped that cycle? <laughs> Using your words. <laughs> if he had a conversation with even just one other person, to be like. Hey, by the way, I have an interdimensional being in the back of my brain waiting for us to fuck it up again. We as a group could maybe make a decision to get rid of this stuff instead of me flying off without talking to anyone. Mm-hmm. Like he even says to Miana, he's like, I don't want you to understand. 
And he flies off. Well, he doesn't. I mean, what he was saying about her not understanding was okay. So I get your frustration. I, I mean, Do you? everything you I'm say. I'm not done. All right. <laughs> I can say more. Well, I, <laughs> I, it's it was in the way I interpreted it was okay. First of all, it's dramatic. It's dramatic in that that old good old fashioned Japanese self sacrifice way, but also. He doesn't, he essentially decided that whatever humanity is, essentially needs to die with me. And which, as he says to Godzilla, as he's streaking towards him in the vulture, um, he's basically like, I, I, I am carrying everything, all of my hate, everything, all of my hate is, is all the hate of humanity, of all the dreams you crush, of all the curses of the past, and you need to burn it all away so it doesn't happen again. Because, I mean, and and actually, my buddy Toshi actually came up with a really good uh, interpretation of that, which was, after we saw the movie, which was, Haro doesn't care that Godzilla destroyed Ghidorah. He doesn't care that he could have this bucolic life living amongst the bug people. He still hates Godzilla with every fiber of his being, and he knows that as long as he has that hate, he basically is con- he 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 feels that no one will be safe, yeah. and then eventually this will all just start again. Even in their lifetime, it could start again. But again, he made the decision unilaterally. He didn't have a conversation with anyone. He spent the last maybe three movies as the as the audience insert character, having everything explained at him. Like, all of these philosophical discussions are being had kind of at him, and we get to see his angry face where he's, like, realizing over and over and over and over and over again. He's like, oh, wait, he what? Shit. And then, oh, wait, he what? Shit. And then, shit. Wait, what? Really? What? Guys, really? Guys. Guys, guys, guys. Bro. 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 And maybe this part at the end where he makes this decision is sort of the natural evolution of, like, like finally he's the one explaining to others. I don't know. Well, he's finally but, making a decision. Well, yeah, he's finally making a decision, but it's a stupid fucking decision. <laughs> he's leaving He's leaving this poor girl he knocked up with some weird hybrid mutant baby that may or may not be carrying shit tons of diseases that will kill them all. Like, did he, did he talk to any of the other survivors? Maybe one of them is angry too. You know, we know that's a really good point, and that is something that I feel like. And I did think about that myself. I was like, there is actually no guarantee that nobody else is as mad at Godzilla as he is. The way, but he's taking away their tools to do it with the key information that they would need. Wouldn't that be the great Lovecraftian twist, though? He he goes through the effort of removing the technology and removing himself to save humanity, but the seed's and been then, there all the long, and then it spreads anyway. And now and there's no Dr. way to Martin stop it. Dr. Martin finds some other part of Mechagodzilla City right? that can do... I mean, and then it all happens yeah. anyway. They're, the city was huge. If a tiny, Predeterminism. If a tiny broken <laughs> fraction of it survived, it's nanometal. It's already real freaking small, like, yeah. and it's self-replicating. Come on. Right. right. I, the thing is that, again, I think this is further evidence that this was originally developed to be a series... Because it has all these huge, high-concept ideas that um, need, huge gaping plot holes. need a little more to them, even though we got so much exposition. But a lot of the exposition was more about plans and philosophy. Plans and philosophy. Even though I like this trilogy, and I think that it's 
it's a. It, I, I'm glad it exists because we're probably never going to get something like this again. Oh, exactly. None of my none of my my irks with the series. None of those are aimed at any of the things that they took chances with. Like right. The things that they that they that they tried, and that they were like, let's do something different. And mm-hmm. thank God that my my nitpicks and my my grievances are with the things that they've done that are the same as other things. The the tropes and the cliches and the fallbacks, like like these these are these are things. Most of them specific to Japanese media. I've just I've seen it. I've seen it. That's, I mean, that's that's fair. That's a fair criticism, and I'm inclined to agree. I, I just, I, I think what I saw in the ending was I saw the thematic resonance they were going for, and I saw that they were trying to do this thing where it's like break the cycle, and I, I just appreciated that so much that it, it sort of blinded me to some of the obvious now that I think about them <laughs> grievances with the plot, but. Um, I actually really, I actually really, really liked, um, because this all, of course, ties into the post credit sequence that I actually thought was really kind of clever and interesting. And again, it was another one of these nuggets of like, oh man, this is Irobuchi thinking outside of the box, which, um, at the end credit, we see essentially what is a Hotua ceremony of some kind, which itself is a visual and audio callback to the, um the cleansing ceremony from the original Godzilla 1954 that they have on Odo Island. There's these people walking around in circles, and you hear this, dong, dong. It's it's very much a callback to that. They're having a ceremony, and these children are creating these little churios, these little effigies, these little knickknacks, essentially of their fears. And then... They're praying to this this other effigy, this Wicker Man style effigy they call the Wrathful, the Wrathful Lord, the Wrathful One, and then they burn their fears to quote remove the curse, remove the curse of their fears, and they burn the effigy of the Wrathful One. Now, does anyone have an interpretation of that? Does anyone have any thoughts about that? I have some thoughts about it that kind of bleed in from. The end of the film as well. Okay. Um, so I, I understand Morgan's frustration <laughs> and the, the plot contrivances or whatever. Um, I never expected good decisions to come from Haruo. Um, <laughs> That's totally fair. Because, like, he, he's, he's a, the realist of us. He's, he's a damaged... He's the chip on the shoulder looking for a chip. He's right. Looking, he's a chip looking for a shoulder. shoulder. Right, yeah. exactly. And that... Chippity, I, chippity, chip. I don't know if artistically that that's going to resonate with everyone. Obviously, I, I feel like I might be the only one. It's <laughs> but okay. It's I, he 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 didn't make a good decision, perhaps, and and that that's that's certainly an interpretation that I feel is very valid. I don't think that he was meant to, and I feel that he's a very damaged individual that was doomed from the start, and that ties into the whole he was the chosen one thing. Sure. So he's. He's taking to heart the fact that his whole life was a lie and that he, like, the thing that he devoted himself to was hatred and right. and perpetuating uh, violence. And the, he was very, very reactionary to Godzilla's appearance and the fact that it destroyed civilization and that humanity had to suffer so much because right. of Godzilla. So he's he's very hyper-focused on that. And um, I feel that his 
decision to destroy the nanometal and Yuko and himself was more about less about the like decision to to doom humanity into being peasant farmers because that's <laughs> that's certainly an aspect of it mm-hmm. but it was more the the he saw that just because of the the gap in technology that there was that the Hotua's philosophy was more correct than his own hmm. and was more correct than what had been derived from his civilization and so what he wanted was not necessarily to doom everyone to to peasant farming because the Hotua like obviously the farming make- of peasants <laughs> right um the Hotua were making like medical advancements and they they were incorporating nano metal into their weapons and stuff like they were they were not necessarily people that were going to remain like stone age forever um but because they live in the shadow of Godzilla because they live in the shadow of Godzilla they're they're more in harmony with the earth and their their philosophy was more of one of coexistence instead of supremacy and he wanted to end the idea which is often derived from like modern first world society that like in order to win you have to dominate and right. you have to impose your nature on the planet and so he's he sees the hotoa's like philosophy of coexistence as superior and in spite of the fact that they're quote more primitive and they don't have the technology that that's the way that they should move forward and he feels that if they rely on the nanotechnology now they're enabling the like the the repetition the, the, of the, repetition of, the yeah. of the like supremacy mindset and that kind of predatory mindset right. whereas he wants a more like symbiotic relationship to move forward so i i i 100% get the other interpretations of that, but that's no, but what you're making a really fair point. I wish that had been more in the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's... that's really the way I. That was really how I was feeling. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you right. on that interpretation. That's a, yeah, that's... I wasn't really able to find the words like you are because I'm tired. But um... <laughs> well, and he, it shows that he's one of those characters, like a Frodo, or like mm. um, like the agent from Serenity, who's very conscious of the fact that the future he's helping to create has no place for him. He is an agent of the change that needs to happen, but he's not meant to live in that future. I was going to say... he has to remove himself from the equation in order for everything else to thrive on its own naturally. I was thinking about Frodo a little bit uh, after we watched the movie, and I was kind of thinking about how, yeah, at the end of Lord of the Rings, Frodo can't really go back to the Shire. He's sort of... Maudlin? Yes, that's the word for it. <laughs> yeah, he's he has grown through the course of the hero's journey, and there there is no way that he can reduce himself back into fitting into that box. Right. And he knows that trying to would change himself and other people in negative ways. Right. So the only way to go about allowing the future that he helped to create to flourish is to remove himself from that equation and go elsewhere. So he yeah. runs off to the uh, Greylands with the, with the elves and will diminish and go well, into the we're west. still talking about Harrow. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, yeah but, Yes, I mean, yeah. exactly. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and that's, and I think that that speaks to when Morgan brought up the point about um, when he says, "I don't want you to understand." He's specifically talking about the concept of of, of hate, of hate, yep. but more specifically the concept of wanting to kill the thing, kill God, the entire the relationship, the entire relationship of of him, people wanting to destroy Godzilla. I mean, that's an excellent point, Quinn, about about wanting to. The, this is a society that is 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 advanced in its own way, 
uh, but it is it is purely existed in the shadow of Godzilla, of a dominating force. They are not the the alphas. They're I mean, and so she does not want his ideology to infect their society. I feel like that would work better if he was the only human survivor. Yes. He was the last one left. Yeah, they left like, that hanging. Right, yeah. and I feel like the whole thing of him impregnating Mina. Um, I feel like that was again. It's all. It's it's. I, I I look. I get it. We're gonna take this this little thing about these female characters essentially becoming plot devices to serve the development of a male character. We're gonna just put that over here for right now. And <laughs> but but uh, what I think the intention was. I know death of the author and all that was essentially to show that. Oh, he could have this bucolic life. And it's sort of, it's almost like a fake out. It's like, he could have this, there, there is this bucolic life. People are integrating into the Hotu society. They're actually, look like they might actually, this might be an okay way to live, you know? But that's when they kind of pull the rug out from under you and are like, oh no, he can't. I mean, the only other human character who's essentially a character left is Dr. Martin. And Dr. Martin doesn't seem to hate anything. He was cheering Godzilla at the end when he was destroying Ghidorah. But again, it's that same problem of like, you're not, you're, you're sort of brushing that under a rug and saying like, well, uh, we're going to wrap up all of this um, uh, philosophical and uh, unilateral decision up in Haruo uh, in the text of the film so that he makes a decision for everybody. I get that, and I get that, and I get that, and I get that. It's just like, I, I'm just, I'm really glad I did this podcast, because this is so, this is good, this is good. Um, we're growing as people. <laughs> anyway. Um, See, I think, like, like now that Nick Quinn has explained, you know, his his viewpoint on this, I, I much prefer it, and, I, I, and I'm going to tend to agree with it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I wish that had been a little bit clearer or plainer in the, the text of the film. Sure. To me... I didn't. I didn't really pick up on on those sorts of things where you're talking about like like the hatred is, is wrapped up in him only because again he's not the only human left and right. he, it it appears like all of this was sort of made in like the decision was made in a vacuum basically mm-hmm. and so for me where you're like they have this kind of montage to show showing them integrating with the Hotua you know they change their clothes they're they're gonna they're gonna live it. They're gonna be happier. Like they, you even have a side conversation. You sort of hear in the background. It's like, yay, the nano machines are coming back. Although you know this life isn't so bad once you get used to it. Like they like they're setting all of that up, and then for him to suddenly decide. To me, it seems like he suddenly decided, oh no, the cycle's gonna start again because I'm angry or something. <laughs> and like like all sure. of, not all about you. Like all of that <laughs> yeah, philosophy right? was wrapped up in him and he and he decided to to save them by by throwing that away. But like I'm still looking at it from maybe a too realistic perspective of he's their de facto leader. Like they're looking to him to see what they should do next. They're looking to him cuz he's 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 knocked up one of the women. He's He's their unofficial leader. He's he's led them this far. Everyone else is dead. He has some very real responsibilities now here in this world to the person he knocked up, <laughs> to the remaining members of his society. Mm-hmm. He he has a responsibility in my mind to set an example now of how you should live and how you should integrate. 
And to me, like working through that anger and sure. coming to a better place yourself emotionally is the harder job than just deciding, oh, I'm the embodiment of the bad things. And then to throw yourself against Godzilla and, and die and take the last of this, of this technology with you, that's, that's like the easy way out. That's a, that's a really interesting interpretation. Yeah. Like, like instead of staying on, working through his shit, talking with the people that are there, helping raise his goddamn kid. <laughs> instead, he gets the Ghidorah effect. Fuck I, you guys, I'm out. I feel, I feel like, I feel like, this is one of the reasons why I love Urobuchi and I like these movies so much. Because these movies were just the pedantic swill that uh, a lot of Godzilla fans claim they are. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be exactly. having this learning about ourselves. I'm a different person. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I just think that um, I think that's one of the things that speaks to even if it's not 100% successful there's something there worth discussing and worth analyzing. Absolutely. And um, worth listening to podcasts about. Hey! hey. Uh, I, Hashtag subscribe to us on iTunes. Hell yeah! Um, but <laughs> I do but I do think that like uh, the, the, the post credit scene though I do want to touch on that because we've been at this for over an hour, as, as is our want. Yeah. Oops, sorry, guys. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I think the post credit scene. You had a point, Quinn, about the post credit scene that you were tying into your interpretation of right, Captain right, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so I got right. kind of sidetracked. So but, great. we so, all wanted to talk more. That about was me. Sorry. So the 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 post credit scene is a example of this society and this philosophical leaning of of taking. Uh, your fear and anger at being hurt and, and doing something other than lashing out with it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I feel an interesting concept and an interesting message in a world in which we see a lot of stories tell you like the problem with modern society is that it's too modern and that we rely on technology and that kind of thing. Because quite frankly, like modern society has a lot of, really large benefits to it, like modern medicine and the fact that uh -huh. we get to consume art. And I mean, you're listening to us on the internet right now. Like that would not exist without the advancements brought on by modern society. Um, so I, I feel that maybe the, the message is a little muddled because of the, the bill of salute and nanometal, like being an obvious stand in for like devotion to technology. Um, I just, I feel that there's, there's such a thing as like too much of a good thing, and that's what the nanometal is. The nanometal is an over reliance on a earth destroying technology like fossil fuels, that kind of thing. Like it's it's oh, yeah, because it, it like the the continued existence of nanometal is shown, especially in the second film, but like also in the third film, it's very clearly going to try to take over the planet and absorb all of the organic matter and transform it into something else. Right. And so that's very key in, I feel like destroying the nanometal is like akin to destroying our reliance on fossil fuels or mm. destroying our reliance on, on strip mining or like the, like the, the, the kinds of technology that, that don't give back commensurate with what they take. Like we can't, sure. we can't continue to keep burning fossil fuel we're going to like end life on this planet as sure. far as we know if we if we continue to abuse sure. the planet. So 
that like I feel like it could have been made more clear. But like the end credit scene is is a view of a society in which they're going to move forward in a way that doesn't include those kind of decisions. Sure. And it's also going to not include the kind of like hateful lashing out mm-hmm. that that defined Haro's entire existence, like sure. from young childhood till his death. There you go. I mean, that's. I mean, does anybody else have a? That's that's great. I, I love that. Uh, does anybody else have an interpretation of the of the end credit sequence? I mean, I'm gonna watch more movies with Quinn. Yeah. Yes, seriously though. No kidding. I, I just learned. I've a lot. been the. I've been this like stupidly hype man for all three of these podcasts, and I feel like it's maybe a character flaw, but at <laughs> no, the same time, no. like, uh, I no. enjoy things maybe too much. It's no. an enriching experience. It. It, it, it's like you're. You're well read, and you're bringing a bringing a new perspective to it, and we appreciate that. That's yeah, why I wanted us, you. You've read and and you're Godzilla fan. We're plebs, and now we want to be yeah. better, and <laughs> that's because of yeah. you. And you've we have you actually diminished. I took one for the literature quiz. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I just, um, I think that. Uh, oh well, okay, yeah, I. One of the ways that I I thought the end credit sequence was really interesting. This is something that my friends and I were talking about after we saw it in Japan. Because I didn't quite understand it myself, uh, and then uh, also didn't have any subtitles. Um, but basically, uh, we were discussing how there's a possibility that the effigy they're burning is is Haro, and he's the wrathful lord. He because they essentially they don't understand why he did what he did. So the only way they could interpret it is he went and immolated immolated his- himself. And taking all of his curses with him and all this evil with him, basically. So these kids are essentially uh, saying, this is what I'm afraid of, and this is what I'm afraid of, and this is what I'm afraid of. Okay, now burn your fears so they won't destroy you. And um, that's, you know, and I thought that was really interesting. Again, it was one of those really interesting ideas. Um, although the Wikipedia says that it was the it was the effigy of the vulture, which still... It looked like it with the wings. It, yeah, with the right. wings and the but shape of the head. But it could be him in the vulture. Right. Yeah, that's entirely... Yeah, yeah. Part of the same, you know, still. It's that really interesting world building that would have been really good in a series! Um, so, yeah. I mean, I thought that... I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of cap the movie. And, um... I don't know. I, I feel like... Well, we've been at this for almost an hour and a half, and I, I feel like, uh... You know, we, um... We covered a lot of ground, especially. We've been on a journey with these three movies. I mean, this is a solid yeah. year of watching these movies and dissecting them and absorbing them and stuff. And I and I hope we can do this again in the future with more movies uh, uh, on the Gigantic I'd, cast. Oh, I'd love will. to be a part of it. Excellent. So, um, so yeah. Um, as a final thoughts, uh, unless anybody has anything they want to squeeze in, I figure we just go to the rating. Yeah, I got nothing. I'm okay. all angered out. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, kiddo. I feel like we just need like a cigarette and to like sit in a corner and hug each other for yeah. a bit. Yeah, I'm down. I don't even uh, smoke cigarettes, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, kiddo, why don't you start off, or start us off with like your rating and your just your rating and just like what have you like overall thoughts of of this movie and the trilogy, just like and then give us your blank out of ten rating. Uh, okay. So <laughs> look, you gave me. <laughs> so I've been. Um, I've been enjoying these movies more progressively as they went along. Like I said in my review for the very first one, um, I thought it was way too abrupt. There wasn't enough world building. It was very shallow because they were just eager to get us into the plot, you know, like they do. So 
like as we've been moving along and we're getting more into the the philosophy behind the series, I've been enjoying it way more. And I actually really did like um, this one a lot up until you know like the last quarter or so. (laughs) But um, it was I mean it was a little it was a little wordy, but I liked everything that was happening. Um, except for the parts where it didn't, things kind of made sense. <laughs> um, <clears throat> these, the, these, this trilogy is just really interesting to me as like a, as like a, a layperson Godzilla fan, as like a tangential Godzilla fan. They really do try some new and interesting things, and I cannot fault them for that at all. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun to get angry about and pick apart. <laughs> I'm really glad I came to this podcast and I got some better perspectives from Quinn and from Matt for some of the things that I think in my rage I missed. Um, you may not like it, but I still think if you're interested, you should give it a shot. It's, it's interesting, if nothing else. It'll give you something to think about. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it an overly harsh rating because they, the things that they do with the women characters and just some of the tropes that they fall into are just, I'm bored with it. I've seen it. I'm done. So I'm going to give this whole series, uh, this movie specifically, but the whole series like a six out of 10, um, <laughs> six out of 10 interdimensional eyeballs. Ooh, Ooh, nice, good one. I like that. Yeah, Miss Miss Muse, mayhem of the muse. This has been a really great experience for me. Um, having been a fan of anime, but definitely not having been anywhere near the consumer of volume that the other three distinguished members of this podcast are. <laughs> but like, seriously, but I, I am. <laughs> Major, don't even mostly Matt, Mister Existential Conversations about <laughs> humanity in every moment. Uh, so this has been a really great experience for me as a viewer, with no context of the Godzilla genre whatsoever. I loved the experience of watching these films, the way that they play, the things that they make me think, and the way that they do so. Absolutely love it. Absolutely want more content that feels like this and that is developed in this way. I, I loved the way that it was the the style of animation that they used, the thematics in it, the way it makes me think. I really dig it. I'm very much on the Morgan ship of y'all could have done better in some things, and that's just the continuing struggle for strong, independent people that want people <laughs> to do better with society. I liked the... I I am drawn to things with that end of bucolic life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the girl considering buying, like, a 10 to 20 acre property so I can have a horse and a farm right now. So I dig it. Um, I liked the Princess Mononoke-esque feel to Mm -hmm. it. And I also enjoyed the Helsing-esque lopping of body parts (laughs) in the last (laughs) film. That was was weird. It was was super weird and... Came out of nowhere, and I'm here for it. Give me <laughs> things I don't expect, because I like that. Uh, so, this film, I'm going to give a 7 to 5 because of too much exposition and ending that just made me go, huh? <laughs> uh, but overall, the series in general, I'm going to give an eight seven five. Uh, Lovecraftian unsatisfying endings. 
Interesting. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Quinnifer. Thanks. Did Quinn. we just become one person? <laughs> yes. Is that what just happened to yes. you? Quinn. All right. You're John Ha. I'm not uh, wearing my my flannel, but I will next time for okay. you. <laughs> Thank you. I guess it's important to note that I'm wearing flannel. It is. It's um, a really good and red and black I, flannel. <laughs> Like I said, I've been the hype man for this series since the very first episode of the podcast. Um, I may have seen things with too kind of an eye at times, and I may have read too much into certain other things. And uh, You balance out my shallow rage. It's good. So, um, with, with the viewpoint that uh, Morgan brought up, especially, I feel that some of my opinions of the film have soured a little bit. Um, that being I'm said... Sorry. No, no, no. Okay. That, that, that being said, um, I feel that the strengths outweigh the flaws. Um, and uh, some of the key points of the film are its, its treatment of cosmic horror, um, a look into uh, zealotry in another form that we got from the second film, and the philosophical questions and arguments that it brings to the table. I think those are all really worth 90 minutes of your time. And I still think that uh, Ghidorah's design in the film is fantastic, and his initial appearance um, against the uh, the spaceship, the Aratrum, 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 Aratrum. It's it is spaceship. Uh, yeah, it's the spaceship. It's literally the only one in the movie. <laughs> and um, I, I think that that was a specific, like, very horrifying experience and very well done use of cosmic horror and that the fear of the unknown and his treatment is so unique compared to the interpretations of him in other films that I, I thought it really brought something worthwhile to the table. You should spend 90 minutes on this film. Like mm. I, I, I don't think that there's like, I think that there's certainly better things you could do with 90 minutes, but there's certainly many more worse things that you could do with 90 minutes. <laughs> and I, I give this film uh, seven out of ten bowls of cult soup. Ooh, I like it. And I feel that the series as a whole is uh, eight out of ten. I wish Angiris had made a cameo. Uh, I feel that. I think his skull is in the first movie on the television. Po- yeah, possibly. Possibly. But possibly. we we didn't get like a we didn't get Angirasu. Yeah, give me more freaking Mothra. <laughs> really though. Oh, Jen, we'll watch the Mothra trilogy, and then you'll be like. I want less Mothra. <laughs> I, that is slanderous, and I, I am offended. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a blasphemer. Um, uh, I guess just to, to wrap us up, yeah, I, um, I'm really glad I've assembled this this crack team, um, because y'all have helped, y'all have actually helped me internalize a lot of things about this movie that I've been mulling over, uh, and the movies in general. Now that I see the trilogy as a whole... It really does help me to understand both the positives and the negatives of what this what this trilogy has been and and its place in the genre. It's a really interesting experiment. And while we may never get something like this in the Godzilla franchise again, um, I hope that other people will take lessons from it and try new things uh, in their own stuff. It's I. I, I do agree. I, I really thought that the battle of philosophies and everything was really interesting. It was a really unique take. Some people have argued that these movies would be better if they weren't about Godzilla, or Godzilla, it wasn't Godzilla who was in them, or whatever. And I'm like, 
I feel like this was a really interesting reinterpretation of Godzilla in a way that still felt like Godzilla because he's the only character in pop culture that could fit this framework in the way that they made him to fit it. That they 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 really took this idea and ran with it about the about um, you could really only be aware of Godzilla in our modern pop culture landscape and then watch this movie and be like, okay, this makes sense that this is where things would probably go. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, these, I'm going to be mulling these movies over for a long time and I'm, I'm really glad they exist. And you know what? They were a nice little time killer between live action Godzilla movies. Wow. So Yeah. It's kind of uh, harsh. It's not yeah, harsh. It's I a backhanded compliment. I, uh, because that's what they literally are. They were a way to keep the brand in the public Relevant eye and hype, in uh, Japan, specifically between between Shin, Shin Godzilla and King of the Monsters. But you know what? It's a damn good way to kill some time. I felt like, especially with such a unique approach, I feel like Toho kind of felt like they were free to let these guys do their own thing because we just got. Shin Godzilla, and we're about to get a very traditional monster beat 'em up with King of the Monsters. It's very interesting because I think I'm, I'm actually like more interested, so to speak, in the animated movies and in whatever Toho has planned for the future than I am in King of the Monsters. Which is not to say I'm not excited for King of the Monsters, but I look at King of the Monsters and I think this is going to be a really expensive fan film. Yeah, and like you know what you're going to get with it, right? But you didn't know what you were going to get with these movies, right? And all. I feel like that's part of the appeal of them. Oh, definitely. absolutely. They, so, they took some risks and good on them, right? Absolutely. Exactly. And uh, you know, I just felt like I, I yeah, I'm gl- I'm glad I got them in my life, and that's why I, since I don't trust streaming, that's why I'm spending extra to buy the Blu-rays. Um, oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, I already have the first two. Um, so good news to me. Uh, yeah. Nope. Anyway, Snap. she knows what she signed up for. Uh, anyway, uh, I am going to give um, this particular film. I'm actually, I'm probably going to give like a high seven. Um, you know, maybe even a seven and a half. I'm edging up on an eight uh, out of ten. Um, oh, what was I? Oh, um, fun callbacks to Invasion of Astro Monster. Uh, <laughs> Quinn agrees with me. Um, the whole series, I'm going to give a solid seven, uh, somewhere hovering between six and a half and seven. I know what seven. I'm going to give it a solid seven out of ten. Um, really, really specific merchandise. Because a friend of mine actually recently went to Japan and found me the little, um, the little flower thing that Haro has. The little keychain. She found that for me. And, uh, oh my god. She didn't even see in the movies. She was just in Japan and said, that's really specific. Matt, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, and thank she you. was right. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, anyway, uh, I also, real quick, before we signed off, I had a couple of uh, quick little notes. Um, first off, uh, uh, the voice actor for Haruo is a uh, legendary voice uh, anime and live action voice actor Mamoru Miyano, who is the voice of a ton of anime characters. Um, he's uh, let me go to the top of his little Wikipedia page because it kind of uh, he's in 
He's in Wolf's Reign. He's in Oran High School Host Club. Who is he's, he in Oran High School Host Club? I, he's in Bungo Stray Dogs. Oh my gosh. He is Whoa. in Hunter Alex x Hunter. Hunter. No, no, no. Answer my question. All right. Hang oh, on. Alchemist he's, Brotherhood. He's in Dura oh, Ra um, he's uh, okay. We gotta, we gotta, yeah. we gotta find this. Um, find it. Hold on. Here find is it. this his anime list. Uh, yes. when did when did Oran High School? Oh, here it is. Yeah, he's he's Tamaki in Oran High School, also, ah! which also means he's also the voice of Ultraman Zero. That's horrible. <laughs> yes. What? Extremely talented, very... Stop being so talented! I need to be able to identify you in your work, He's person. also the voice of light in Death Note. What? He's the voice of light in light the Death Note. My He's... entire world is shit. Lead with that! If I knew that was Tamaki going into it, I would have enjoyed this way more! He's a Ling Yao in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Uh, I haven't seen Brotherhood. Um, I can't believe You should Tamaki. definitely watch it. Yeah. I can't believe he's zero. He's he's in Steins Gate. He's a, dang. He's he's a lot of characters. He's in a lot. He of is things. every woman. He's a, <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like now we're getting into modern stuff, and I don't, he's Rin and free. Oh my oh, god! Oh <laughs> yeah, the the swimming anime. The wow. um oh man. See, I'm just going down. Oh my the gosh. Street. I like how you were like, we're going to do this real quick, and then 30 minutes of reading through yeah. his Okay, IMDb okay, okay, later. that's enough. You can, you yeah. can read his Wikipedia page yourself. Mamoru Miyano is, uh, is bae. Um, so... Oh my god, yeah. now I'm actually going to have to go back and rewatch some of this stuff. God damn it. God damn it. I know. I thought it, I was done. It bad. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, and on top of that, like I said, uh, find us on, um, iTunes and Spotify. Um, if you want to find out more about me, you can go to mattfrankart.net. I have a website now. You can go check it out. Uh, it's got links to everything. It's got links to the Ganicast. It's got links to my YouTube channel. It's got links to my other YouTube channel. It's got links to my other YouTube channel. <gasps> it's got links to my DeviantArt and all my art and stuff. Uh, yeah. No, wait, let me ask you. So, yeah. so I believe we've mentioned once or thrice about Spotify and iTunes. Yeah. Can they also get the podcast on oneofus.net? Or- yeah, I mean, you can still go to oneofus.net and okay. listen to it there. Uh, it's just, um, if you're on a mobile device, it's just easier to oh, course, uh, go to the website. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, check all the other great stuff here on oneofus.net. they got lots of great shows. You should let check them out. They're fun. Uh, does anybody else want to plug anything? I mean, I'm good. Unless you guys you've are, got some, you've got uh, some events you, coming up in yeah, 2019. Yeah, so, all right, all right, fine, I'll do the thing. Sure, why not? Uh, so I have recently started a chapter of the Mounted Archery Association of the Americas, and we are hosting the Texas International Archery Festival in Page, Texas at the Valkyrie Ranch on April 26th through 28th, 2019. So if you like traditional historic cultures, archery, horses, mounted archery, ground archery, vendors, food, alcohol, music, and all of the things cultural and international – Come out to our festival. It's going to be the largest festival the United States has ever had for mounted and ground traditional archery. We have competitors from 17 different countries, I think. Hell yeah. It's going to be a jam. So come hang out with us. Tickets are available online at txiaf.com. Yeah, Austin, Austinites, listen well. Um, that's awesome. Or uh, people from wherever, like we will, we will host you. Come hang out. You can camp on site. I'm really excited about this. It's like, going to be good stuff. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, 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 take us out on because uh, I looked up the, um, the the voice acting page for the voice actor for Matt Face Takahiro Sakurai. He is the voice of Koichi in Card Captor Sakura. He is um, your jaws dropping, Quinn. Who he is Tentomon in Digimon, which uh, is adorable. He's also Kabuterimon. Wow. Um, he's 
what are some others? <laughs> uh, he's got some some pretty sweet. He's in Slayer's Premium. Wow. Um, he's got a Zoids. He's got basically Zoids. All of the he's like, been Cloud and Zoids. Yeah, Zoids, Pokemon, and Digimon. Like he's, he's in a lot, lot of, of that. Pokemon stuff. He's he's fucking he's, 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 he's got a bit. He's got a bit part in uh, Initial D. Yes, which was the what was making my heart sing. Yeah, but, aw. I uh, he's so yeah, he's a oh, he's sideways in Transformers Armada. That's awesome. Okay, we're gonna be at this all yeah, day. Yeah, uh, bye. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're gonna look at keep looking at things. So, uh, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>